0: Father, thank you again for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings today, Lord. Thank you for the decisions that were made this morning in the service. Father, we want to see some more made tonight. We want you to have your way in our hearts and in our lives. Father, we desperately need a great revival in our lives. We need to get back to where you want us to be, back to holy living, righteous living, separated from the sin of this world, pure and and clean and and, uh, right in your eyes. That your favor would shine upon us again. Help us, Father, tonight to draw closer to you. Help us to see the truths that we need to see in the scriptures. Help us to lay aside our doubt, our unbelief, our pride, our selfishness, our foolishness, and our sin, and help us to cling to the cross and to be drawn closer to you, Father, through Jesus. I pray tonight for each and every soul that's here that you'd have your way in all of our lives Thank you, Father, for what you'll do tonight. Help us now with this message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, now, I had said I was going to start at 19, but I do want to go back and just recap uh, at least from verse 15 so that we can all kind of connect the dots from this morning. And if you weren't with us this morning, that is a recorded message that was posted online, so you'll be able to go back and listen to that at maybe a later time. So pick up in verse 15, if you will. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables, excuse me, the tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. Now, these tables are usually what we think of as the Ten Commandments. And you've probably seen some movies or pictures in the past of a big, uh, kind of like a bearded man standing upon a mountain holding two tablets. Uh, what, What was his name? Charleston Heston. And the Ten Commandments, you know, that image. And originally what had happened, according to this text, is God had written down His Word on stone and Moses had this in his hand. You know, sometimes we can picture Moses up there carving with a chisel, but it was God who originally wrote the Word down, originally. And then some things will happen and we'll see what happens here. So he comes down off the mountain with these tablets. Verse 16, the tables were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. You know, noise is is something that uh, triggers a response. And in this case, you're going to find this noise was a type of music. Sometimes people say, well, music is amoral. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. Not according to Scripture. In this case, from a distance, Joshua thought there was war in the camp simply because of the type of music that was being played in the midst of that camp. We ought to be careful about what we listen to when it comes to music. Look what happens next, verse 18. He said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, meaning they want strength as if they're at battle, Neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, they're weak, they're defeated, that's the opposite end of the spectrum, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. In verse 19, and it came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hand and broke them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made, and burnt it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and strawed it upon the water, and made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? We're going to stop right there. Now in these texts here, we know that prior, as this morning we've already addressed this, Moses is at the top of the mountain receiving the word of God. The children of Israel were supposed to be at the base waiting on God. And yet what happened is after the 40 days had gone by, they eventually became impatient with Moses. They doubted that he was ever going to return. So they went to this man named Aaron, who was the brother of Moses. And they say, Aaron, you need to make us some gods so we can worship something. We need somebody to worship right now. They create a golden calf or a molten calf. And they begin to bow down and worship this calf. Now this was was very significant because just a few chapters prior in the book of Exodus, God had delivered the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel and told them that number one, the first commandment that man is to understand is that thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second command was thou shalt not bow down before any gods or any idols, any graven images. And they broke both of these. And the truth is they broke even more than that as we examine, if we were to examine the whole event, you'd find there's lies, there's deception, there's fornication, there's, uh, there's the blasphemy, there's the worship, they broke all the commandments. They really messed up. And so in verse 19, the symbol here, as we read into verse 19, you see it came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp, that he saw the calf, the dancing, Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and he break them beneath the mount. You could imagine Moses coming down off Mount Sinai. He's received the precious tables that God himself has written. I mean, what an amazing artifact to have if we had it. And he comes down and it's the law of God. Hey, this is God's commandment. You want to get to heaven, this is what you have to keep. You want to be right with God, this is what you have to avoid breaking. Moses comes down off the mountain. He hears something in the camp. As soon as he walks in, there's dancing, there's fornication, there's nakedness, there's drunkenness, and they're all bowing down and worshiping an idol. And Moses, in his anger, and I believe it's also symbolic of what was happening, he takes the tablets and he, ah, and just crashes them right there. I know, a little dramatic, right? Maria's, <laughs> Maria's laughing at me. But he breaks the tablets. And what does that symbolize? The broken law of God. The broken law of God is is shown right here. Israel had treated God's law with such disdain that it was not important to them. Therefore, it was nothing for them to break the laws of God. Now, this is very serious because it's because of the broken law that people today will die, give account of their sin, and ultimately go to a, a devil's hell. In the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, God gave one commandment to Adam and Eve who were created originally. He says, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden, for in the day that you eat thereof, you'll surely die. And what happened was, they, though they had been given the word of God... They began to question the word of God. The serpent helped them to do that. Hath God said? Eve questions the word of God. Eventually, she takes of this forbidden tree. She gains the knowledge of good and evil as a free will creature who can't manage these things, and she immediately sins as a result of it, which then brings the curse of death upon the world. You ever wondered why you have to die? It's the fruit of sin. You ever wondered why you have to feel pain? you've broken a leg, you've cut yourself, you catch a cold, it's because of sin. The curse of death is on this world, and now everything in this world has an end to it, has a weakness to it, and it'll all be affected. As time goes on, mankind doesn't fully comprehend, well, what has happened, Lord? Was it only the one rule in the garden? So many years later in the book of Exodus, God appears to a group of people, descendants of a man by the name of Abraham. And to those people, to this man Moses, who was one of the descendants of Abraham, God gives the law. And in the law, God gives instruction about what is righteous and what is unrighteous, meaning what is godly and what is ungodly. And right here, we find that these people were guilty of doing that which was ungodly. And when Moses comes down off the mountain, all he can do, a knee-jerk reaction, you know, you've had him too, he just slams it down in anger. As you move into verse 20, we find that with sin, a bitterness always seems to follow sin. And that's what happened in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned against God. By the way, sin, the word, three letters, S-I-N, it just simply means to trespass. If you've ever broken a law before, and I mean a a, a local law, let's say you've sped, all right? You, You were speeding in an area, you got pulled over by a police officer, and he wrote you a ticket because you were breaking the speed limit. Well, you broke the speed limit, therefore you broke the law, and now you'll pay a fine for it. A sin is a trespass against who God is. And God is perfect and holy, and that's something that often we can't fully grasp, but God is the standard of that. And one might say, well, why does it matter if I'm equal with God or not equal with God, but if I try to be like God? Why does that matter? Why do I have to keep God's rules? It's because this world is God's world. He created this. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And therefore, He has established Himself as the sovereign authority over all things, and we are accountable not to our moms and dads, not to our husbands or wives, not to even our government. We are accountable to our Creator, and it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. That'll be for all of us. Moses comes down off the mountain. He sees the children of Israel sinning. They should have been keeping the law. They've come short. The law is broken. It then follows like this. Look at verse 20. And he, that's Moses, took the calf, the molten calf or the golden calf, which they had made, and burnt it in the fire, ground it to powder, and strawed it upon the water, and made the children of Israel drink of it. Whew. Did you imagine that? Bet that didn't feel too well in the stomach. The picture here is the bitterness that always follows sin. In the garden, the bitterness that followed was the curse of death. At the bottom of the mountain, there's a bitterness that will follow this sin as well there's always some bitterness that follows. And even here where Moses grinds the calf to powder, adds it to a drink, forces the children of Israel to drink it, we find our sins are like a bitter potion that always has a bitter end to it. And in this case, that's what followed. They thought, in this case, these people, they thought we're having a good time. We're celebrating. We're having a feast. We're dancing. We're singing. We're we're, we're doing other lewd things. We're having a good time. And then what follows the good time is bitterness. And you'll see it more as we continue to make our way through our text here. Once the law is broken, the bitterness follows the sin because the account is demanded. Look at the next passage. Verse 21, Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? You know, in the same way, at the end of our lives, one day you'll appear before your Creator. You'll appear before God. God will examine your life. God will demand you to give account of all the things that you ever did. Why did you not believe my word? Why did you not put your faith in my Son? Why did you not follow me? Why? 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 And the majority of people will stand guilty before a holy and righteous God with nothing to answer for their sins. They might say, God, look at my good works. Look how good they were. I held the door for that little old lady. I took my jacket off and I covered that little mud puddle so she would have to get her shoes dirty. I saved a bag full of puppies off the side of the road. Lord, I didn't cheat on my taxes this year. And the Lord looks back at all those people. He says, your good works are but filthy rags in my sight. Can't save you. No good deeds could save us because we have sinned and come short of the glory." In the case of Israel, they had sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no way they're reconciling here. There's no way they're getting right with God. They they will fail to come short and they will have to answer for their sin. And in this case, the account was, was demanded by Moses to Aaron. What has caused these people to sin in such a way? Aaron goes to give an account. Verse 22, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that... They are set on mischief. Now, we know good and well by the earlier account in the chapter, Aaron's a liar right here. Those people came to him in verse 1 by verse 2. He says, all right, give me your earrings. I'll make a calf and we'll start worshiping it. And tomorrow we'll call it a feast unto the Lord Jehovah. He was a liar. I want you to turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 9. We know he was a liar. We know he was trying to be deceitful, which he was breaking one of the commandments himself. And God could have been justified in smoting Aaron right there. But simply because of the intercession of one man, Aaron's life was preserved. Look over in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 20. Well, you know what? Let me go back to verse 18. I think it'll make more sense for you. And I fell down before the Lord as the first 40 days and 40 nights I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins which ye had sinned and doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Moses in Deuteronomy is recounting the events of Exodus 32. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure, wherewith the Lord was wroth. He was angry against you to destroy you, but the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with who? Aaron. To have destroyed him. And I prayed for Aaron also the same time. If not for the prayers of Moses, Aaron would have never been delivered. God knew good and well that Aaron was a liar in his sight. You know, you can't hide anything from God. You can't. You might hide stuff from me. You may hide stuff from your family and from, your, from uh, others in your, in, in your life. But you can't hide anything from God. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro, beholding both good and evil. No matter where we go, even if it's in the darkest depths of the world, the Lord's eyes see everything. And one day we will give account of such things. Aaron was giving account here. Go back to Exodus 32 with me. So Moses had prayed and interceded on Aaron's behalf. Back to the account that Aaron was giving in verse 22, he says, the people are full of mischief. Verse 23, for they said unto me, make us gods which shall go before us. For For this Moses, the man that brought us, Up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me. Then I cast it into the fire, and poof, there came out this calf. Poof is not in the Bible if you don't have one. I just added that. All right, poof is not there. But he does kind of say it in that way, doesn't he? He says, Man, I just, you know, I just tossed some things in the fire, and whoo, look at that. There's a calf sitting there. Man, we I guess that's it. That must be God. You know he's lying. And it's funny how we actually try to make God out to be some kind of fool in our deception, don't we? We try to justify things. We try to overlook the truth. We try to lie and deceive, but you cannot lie to a God who knows all things. You can't do it. You'll fail to do it. And God knows exactly where you are, what you've done, and you stand guilty in his sight. We all do. The account's demanded. Aaron recounts the events. And then we move into the next part here as we move down to verse 25. We find the eyes of the righteous behold the deeds of the unrighteous. Look at verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, How in the world were they naked? It was at first it started out as just an, it was just an idol, right? Just a statue. We read earlier they, they were so excited about it, they all made some burnt offerings. They made some peace offerings. They they began to eat and drink and they sat down together, but then sin always leads to a worser sin. They rose up to play, to make a mockery of the law of God, which led to this great lewdness where there were some who though Moses had arrived and revealed to them the law of God and even broke it in their sight, there were some that were so caught up in the emotion of the moment, they were still naked doing the lewd deeds that they had been doing despite the fact that there was Moses standing before them. They didn't care. They had reveled and wallowed in their sin and filth so much they didn't care that the righteous eyes were now upon them. And their deeds had been found out. They didn't care. Sin always has a worser end to it. Sin is a downward spiral that leads to more sin. There's no up when it comes to sin. There's only down, 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 down. And here Moses sees them, they're naked, for Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies. Verse 26, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, "Who?" is on the Lord's side. Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. After the eyes of righteousness beheld the deeds of the unrighteous, we find the Lord's faithful few were still willing to take a stand. I believe in the day and age we live in, despite the fact that so many, especially with our younger people, they're they're very much affected by social media online um, information, whether it be YouTube, TikTok, uh, different streams and things, all of that is penetrating minds and deceiving people to start to act and think a certain way. But that does not in any way compromise God's wonderful truth. God has established from His Word what is right. And so many are being led astray as all these of the children of Israel at the base of this mountain were led astray to worship the idols of the world. But yet there were still a few when they were called forth. Will you stand with the Lord? They stood up. They said, yes, I don't want this anymore. I will stand with the Lord. And it just so happened to be the sons of Levi, which later became the priest of God. And all throughout the Old Testament, you find it's the Levites who are the priest of God. They were God's people. The Lord's faithful few stand up, the sons of Levi step up, and then look what Moses asked them to do. And it proves to us that God, in fact, hates sin and does have to judge it, because He is a just God. Look at verse 27, "And he saith unto them, "Thus saith the Lord God of Israel: put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate." to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. 3,000. Now, this is 3,000 of a couple million. There was quite a few Israelites at this time. They had already been in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. They finally delivered out of that. But here there were 3,000 that said, we're not going to stand with the Lord. We're going to go and continue to worship the idol. Well, therefore, they were judged by their holy creator. And here's the truth, and I know some may argue against this, but God was just in what he did. God already gave them the truth. Twelve chapters prior, God had clearly outlined This is the law, and if you do not keep the law, then I must blot you out of my book of life, and you will not continue. You will not continue with me. And they chose in rebellion to turn their back on God. Somebody today says, well, what about the people in the world today? Has God not had a witness for thousands of years? Christianity is not a new religion. Though it has been corrupted and poisoned by many cults in the world, the truth of it still remains the same, and the Word of God still remains the same. And if any will come by way of faith, believing in the death, burial, and resurrection, they can be added to the family of God, gloriously saved, delivered from the penalties of sin. But due to unbelief, many don't follow suit with that, unfortunately. There's a great principle that I think we find here, and it's this, that after these 3,000 fail, one might ask, why would they have fallen? Well, they broke the law. And the thing about the law is the law always brought people to death. I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 7 with me, if you will. The law was always meant to be a schoolmaster, meaning it was meant to teach us something. It was not meant to be kept. Trust me, this morning, I mean this morning, this evening, I'm going to get it right eventually. This evening, nobody can keep the law. Nobody. I can't do it, and you can't do it. I've been a Christian for a little while now, some time now. I still can't keep the law. I will come up short. Nobody can. And the thing about the law is the law is there to teach us, just as though... If you've ever been in a classroom before and you sat down in your chair and your teacher stood up at the board and they're writing on the board and they're pointing and they're talking and they're doing this and they're doing that and they're reading from a curriculum book, they're teaching you information about something that is true. The law does the same. Look with me in Romans chapter 7, verse 8. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. Meaning, if the law never existed and God never delivered it to humanity, then humanity would be ignorant in the way they were living because they wouldn't know what is right and what is wrong. They would have to figure it out for themselves. Verse 9 For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. The broken law has always brought death. In Exodus chapter 32, that's exactly what we see in that chapter. The broken law brought death. In the case of us today in 2024, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The law is still bringing death. It's still bringing those to a place where they will be eternally judged for their own sin. It brings death. It is a sword. It is a killer. It is not a healer. And that's what we find in Exodus 32. But just as 3,000 lives were slain by the sword in Exodus 32, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2 with me. Acts chapter 2, if you will. Pick up in verse 49. The Apostle Peter is preaching to a group of Jewish men. He says, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. The sword took 3,000 lives, but the grace of God gave 3,000 lives. Those individuals in Acts chapter 2 were given eternal life, secured, sealed by the Holy Spirit, added to the family of God, not because of works, not because of the law, but simply because of their faith in what God had done, and then God's grace was bestowed upon them. That's the difference in the law and the gospel. And grace. Go back with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 32. So in Exodus chapter 32, we find the immediate judgment for the lawless as 3,000 souls fall by the sword. The law was broken, it brought death. Grace brings life. Verse 29, Moses commands or calls these people to consecrate themselves. Look at verse 29 in Exodus chapter 32. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. I don't need necessarily a show of hands, but how many would love to experience a blessing from our Almighty Creator tonight? In the case of our lives, how many would love to have blessings on your lives each and every day? I believe myself, I've been greatly blessed by God. I am blessed with a beautiful wife. I'm uh, blessed with beautiful children. I'm blessed with a great home, with happiness and joy in that home. I've been blessed with a great church. I've been blessed with the knowledge to know God better. I have been blessed. But those blessings are a result of a consecrated life. In this case, Moses says, consecrate yourselves to the Lord. Give yourselves to Him. Give your attention to Him. They were already the children of God. They had already identified with God. Now they needed to give their lives full and full surrender to Him. He says, consecrate yourselves to the Lord. Even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. Then we move into verse 30 as we kind of come to the end of our message tonight. And we find the intercessor, Moses, wants to return back to the mountain. Why? Well, let's read. Verse 31, Moses returned unto the Lord. I'm sorry, verse 30. Let's start there. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin. That word ye is a plural form of you. You all have sinned a great sin. And now I will go unto the Lord peradventure. I shall make atonement for your sin. Moses was still concerned because he knew that God was a just and holy God who had to judge sin. Has to. He would cease to be God if he ever let anyone just off the hook for nothing. He's just. He's just. And all things must be justified. So Moses returns. He tells the people, I'm going to return to make atonement for your sin. But then Moses returns to the Lord, and he almost offers himself as a sacrifice. Look at verse 31. Moses returned unto the Lord and said, All this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin... He's saying, Lord, would you forgive them, please? He says, if not, then blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. God, if you will not forgive their sin, would you take me out of their book and let me be their sacrifice? The problem with Moses is he wasn't good enough. He wasn't pure enough. Moses had come short of God's glory. Moses was a murderer. You remember that 40 years prior? Moses was a doubter when God said, Moses, I want you to lead my people. Well, God, I can't talk too well. I'm just not good speaking to people. Moses was a sinner. There's no way he could have paid an atonement for the souls of these people. They had trespassed against a holy and righteous God, and the sacrifice must be equal with the one who is offended. Moses couldn't do it. And so the Lord says in verse 33 very plainly, And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Did you know that's the entire world? There's not a soul on the face of the earth who has not sinned against God. And God says to Moses, though Moses wanted to die for the people, and I believe he really meant it when he said it. I think he was sincere But God knew Moses was not a worthy sacrifice because Moses was a sinner just as much as they were. And everyone who has sinned has been blotted out of the book of eternal life, removed. And the law has condemned us to hell. Verse 34, Therefore now go, lead the people into the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold mine, angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. They're not getting off the hook. No matter how many years go by, they will answer for this sin. Verse 35, And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. The intercessor had returned to the mountain to sacrifice himself, but that he wasn't a good sacrifice. God couldn't accept it. God assures Moses, justification is Required, because God is just. God promises to lead the people, but He assures Moses justification is necessary. Therefore, their sins will soon find them out, and they will all be judged. If this is where the Bible stopped, we would all be in some great danger right now. Because if if the Bible stopped right here with Exodus chapter 32, all we would know tonight is that we have failed to hit the mark. We have failed to meet the standard. We have come short of the glory of God, and we are all in danger of having our names blotted out of the book. And one might go forth to God and say, God, I'll give my life. Another will say, I'll give my life. Another will say, I'll give my life. The problem is none of our lives are worthy to be given. But I'm thankful the Bible doesn't stop here, aren't you? Go with me over to Romans chapter 3, if you will. In the book of Romans chapter 3, we find there's a great danger that is outlined again, which we've already learned about tonight. And the Bible says in verse 10, as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asses, asp is upon their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Can you imagine with such a list that God would be able to look down on even us here in Little Mount area at Southside Baptist Church and be able to say the same things concerning our shortcomings and our sins. It keeps going on into verse 19. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. That every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may become guilty before God. That's all of us tonight. That's every single one of us. None could open their mouth before the holy and righteous God and say, No, God, not me. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. None of us could. Because the law, many years prior has declared that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we are all subject. We're under the law. And the law is saying you've broken it. You've come short. You're guilty. And look at verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now... The righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, it says. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified. There's that word being justified freely by His grace. God's reason for taking the lives of the 3,000 and then even plaguing the other ones in Exodus chapter 32 was because God is just, and justification had to take place. Otherwise, God would cease to be the just one that He is. As time goes on, what does He do with a world that is filled full of sinners who have all broken His law? He takes care of the sin debt Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. And as we know, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He that believeth on the Son is not condemned, but he that believeth not on the Son is condemned already. In the passage here we read, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission, the forgiveness of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. And therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. That is the transition from Exodus chapter 32 into the New Testament now under grace. And if not for Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who 2,000 years ago came to this earth spotless, blemished, without any stain whatsoever, if not for Him going to that cross and hanging there and suffering and dying for our sins and being buried and then rose up that third day, we would have no hope at all because the law had only condemned us to hell, but through Christ we are forgiven, we are redeemed, and we are added into the family of God. And to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Jesus is our justifier. And tonight, wherever you are in this matter, one might say amen, the other might say oh me. But did you know tonight you can say oh, me, uh, amen? You don't have to say oh me. And the reason is, is because God has taken care of the sin day. We don't necessarily, though we stand guilty before God, you don't have to fret and worry and fear for what might take place if you were to die tonight. Because you can be justified simply by faith. Some people want so many facts to try to believe in God. And here's what I'll tell you. If you spend a lot of time on the Internet, there are all sorts of things that people will say to you. They'll tell you, this is the way, this is the way, that's the way, that's the way. They'll say, don't believe these people because they're this. Don't believe those people because they're this. Hey, look, tonight all I did was read the Bible to you. And this book has been around a lot longer than any of us have. This is an amazing book that it was written over a 1,600 year period, three continents, three different languages, over 40 authors, yet it has one consistent theme. You say, can we believe the Bible and trust it? Yes. You know why? Not only do I have this. King James Bible here, but there are thousands of manuscripts that are still in existence today that will approve and agree with what is written in this Bible. It's not a new book. It is the book. It's the book that God gave us. And all God requires of us is to place faith in what he said. All have sinned and come short of my glory. That's what he said. He said the wages of sin is death. But he said, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says in the book of Romans, again, he says, whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, how do I call on him? Bow your head and by faith, just pray. Lord, save me tonight. I'm a sinner in your eyes. I know I've done wrong. I can't save myself. But Jesus, would you please? By your grace, would you please add me to the family? Save my unworthy soul. Give me a home in heaven. Deliver me from hell. And did you know he says, any who come to me, I'll not cast them out. I believe Jesus stands at the hearts or stands at the door of people's hearts knocking. And he says, if you'll just let me in, I'll come in, I'll sup with you. I'll come into your life, I'll help you, I'll walk with you. I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you my grace. So many want facts to get to God, and God says it's impossible to please me without faith. Faith is how we get to God. And maybe tonight, that's where you need to be. You need to just, by faith, believe. I pray you will tonight as we close. Ronnie, would you come up here? As we stand to our feet tonight, if you will. Heads bowed, eyes closed tonight. Heads bowed, eyes closed. The Bible's very clear, we're justified by faith and faith alone, not by good works. Tonight, we have a pretty good crowd here on a Sunday night, and I appreciate you all being here. I didn't know any of you, well, some of you I probably knew was going to be here, I assumed, but a lot of you, I didn't even know you were going to be here. I'd already planned this message, but I believe in God's providence. He cares about your soul tonight. The Bible says, this is the day of salvation. And all those who come to the Son will first be drawn by the Father. You say, how do I know I'm being drawn? You'll feel a tug on your heart. Would anybody lift up their hand tonight and say, I've felt a tug on my heart tonight. How about you? Amen. Anybody? Amen. I see the hands going up. I felt a tug on my heart tonight. Maybe you're here and you'd say, I don't know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, but I want to get this right tonight. And I'm ready to go forth by faith calling on the name of Jesus. And just with the uplifting of my hand, I'm going to say, that's me tonight. I'm going to call on Jesus tonight to be my Savior. How about you tonight? Is that you? You'd lift your hand up, you'd say, by faith, I'm going to call on Jesus tonight.